I'm Paul Comfort, and this is Transit Unplugged. Bakara Sanderson Malden and I had the pleasure of both speaking on a panel earlier last year on hiring the workforce of tomorrow. This week, she's our guest on the podcast Transit Unplugged, where she shares some of her insights on the same subject, as well as shedding some light on the role of transit system board members. Bakara has quite a lot of experience in that role, having served on a number of boards, including the Birmingham, Alabama Transit System and on the executive board of APTA. She also shares her passion for assisting others with reliant on paratransit for their mobility as the executive director of ClassTran, Birmingham's regional paratransit consortium. All that on this episode of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. And today we're in Washington, D.C. at an APTA Industry Leadership Summit. And I'm with Bakara Malden, who is the Executive Director of ClassTran. And she's got quite a background of being a board member. And uh, her and I have worked together at some APTA things. Bakara, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little about yourself and your involvement in transit and how you got to be doing what you're doing there in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, I started as a transit board member for the Birmingham Jefferson County Transit Authority, also known as the BJCTA. I was a board member there for about four years, and while I was serving, I got introduced to APTA. And so I hit the ground running with APTA. I made a mistake and raised my hand for one thing, and that (laughs) one thing turned into about 10 other things. Actually, a year ago, I transferred from being on that board to going to Class Tran. And Birmingham Jefferson County Transit Authority handles all the fixed route service for the city of Birmingham and surrounding areas. And they do some limited uh, paratransit. However, Class Tran does all of the ADA paratransit services for Jefferson, Shelby, and Walker County and growing. Wow. That's so, good. And what does that stand for, Class Tran? Class Tran, well, Never been told what it stands for. Can't find it in a history book, but we are happy to be a part of the Class Tran family and um, happy to be serving in this unique role. Yeah. So you're the executive director. And tell us about the system itself some. Well, we have 41 paratransit buses. We uh, do shuttle routes, agency trips. We do paratransit. We do some. We have a fixed route actually in Walker County where the BJCTA does not operate. Okay. So it's a pretty unique system. We service more municipalities actually than the BJCTA, and so we are a very large uh, suburban and rural transportation system. Now, tell me about the role of a board member of a transit system. We haven't really delved into that too much here on the program. Uh, And not many people that I know have gone from being on a board Mm -hmm. to being the executive director, the CEO of the agency. What role in American public transit? I mean, you were on the board of the big Birmingham system. What role do you all play? I mean, we play a role of governance and oversight. Okay. We set the vision. We kind of decide where we see our organization going in the future. We're charged with the oversight of just ensuring that we're plotting along that path. And so it was really a great training ground or preparation, if you will, for the role that I'm in now. Of course, it's vastly different, but it was great preparation because it helped me to anticipate what would I want to know about this particular project if, right. if, I, were, if I had my board hat on. 
And so it's very helpful experience. Now, board members for most transit systems, are they politically appointed? Are they elected? How does that work in a lot of cities? In a lot of cities, they, well, it can be by election. For instance, in Denver, the transit board members are elected. More often than not, they're political appointees. Going all the way from in New York, a lot of those members are appointed by the governor. Mm -hmm. uh, in my case, I was appointed by the city council of the city of Birmingham. Even to be on the Clash Tram board, there are two members appointed by the by each county. Okay. And the city of Birmingham, which is the largest municipality, they have an appointee. And I was the Birmingham appointee for Clash Tram. Gotcha. So what I've seen, and tell me if you agree with this, is that who's ever got skin in the game, that's who gets a board member. So that if you're putting money in as a state or a county or a city municipality, that is correct. Okay, yeah. That yeah. is correct. And so you're representing kind of their interest, right, on Abs the board? Absolutely. And so what's your role when it comes to the budget normally, hiring the CEO, all those kind of things? Well, the board is charged with hiring the CEO. The board is charged with setting the budget. Now, the CEO, of course, administers the budget, but the, it's the board that's actually charged with setting the budget. So it's really important to have an overall understanding of what's going on in the agency and also industry-wide so mm -hmm. that you have an understanding of whether certain figures are in line or out of line. Having served in both roles, how much interaction normally does a CEO have with their board? I mean, normally a board meets once a month, but isn't there some interaction in between those? There should be. Yes. Uh, there should be. Usually, uh, and I would encourage any board, let, you know, let your committees do the work. So really, board members should be coming around at least twice a month, maybe once for a committee day okay. and once for the actual board meeting. Um, but in addition to that, I find that it's very helpful to get to know each of the individual board members. It'll help you understand how to help them understand. If you get to know their quirks and things that, that they're really interested in, for instance, if you have a board member and that board member is an accountant, you know they're going to naturally gravitate towards those, <laughs> right. those kinds of questions. So getting to know them on a slightly deeper level can often be very helpful. That's good. So how did you transition from being on the board of ClassTran to being the executive director? The former executive director had been with the company for 10 years, and he decided to retire to focus on his own trucking company. And he holds a position with the Truckers Association, and he decided to get more active in that realm. I was already very active with Clash Tram with the board on a ad hoc committee that they had put together to work on the strategic plan. We were kind of going through that kind of process. And a lot of the board members began to observe all of the work that I do with APTA, as well as locally on the transit scene. And I was recommended for the position, and the board ultimately voted to put me in that position. Our bylaws allow a board member to be able to serve in that capacity if the interim director can't serve. So, so are you on still on the board as well? I am still on the board that's as good. well. And, and do you think that's a good model? I know in some cities, the CEO is actually the chairman of the board. Correct. Yeah. I think it's actually a good model. Mm -hmm. I, I think it gives the, the, the opinions and the insight that the CEO may have about the operations. It better informs the decisions, I think, if they have a little skin in the game, if you will, as mm -hmm. well. That's good. And so tell me about your role with APTA. You've been very involved. You and I were on a panel together <laughs> at a recent APTA thing. 
What do you do with the American Public Transportation Association? I am on the executive committee of the American Public Transportation Association. Uh, I'm in the midst of a three-year term with them, of course, serving on the APTA board. I'm very active in the transit board member, of course, committee. I'm the chair of the transit board member legislative subcommittee. And I'm also the vice chair of membership and serve on the diversity and inclusion council. So nice little mix of activities. Yeah. And weren't you involved in workforce development? For the last year under the chairmanship of Nat Ford, who is now the immediate past uh, chair, I was the champion for workforce development. And that was such an exciting year. And it was a high honor to serve that way with my my friend who recently passed away, Mr. Paul LaRose. Right, yeah, yeah. That was a big loss. It was, yeah. Tell us a little about what you found in your role there. Across America, people are, transit systems are struggling with attracting, recruiting, retaining qualified employees. Absolutely. Workforce development impacts everyone at every level of this industry, and it actually impacts all industries. We all know it's an exciting time for transportation, a lot of changes in the industry where you've got to have the people who are trained to be able to carry this change forward. And that's a big, hot hot topic right now in workforce development. Of course, you still have issues in some places with retaining drivers, Mm -hmm. making sure that they get the train, the operators, as well as even the customer service agents and dispatchers as well. There's still a great need to make sure that these employees are able to get the training that they need. So what are some of the best practices you've seen in your role as... um in in workforce development across the country? Some of the best practices, gosh, they run from east to west. There is an amazing program taking place out in L.A. under Phil Washington's leadership. They are doing some amazing things with that as well as in New York. There is a actually a transportation-related construction apprenticeship program going on with the New York MTA. And so it, it is just really amazing to see some of the level of, of thought and work that is going into helping train the workforce of the future. After it's gotten in on the act, they had a big summit about it, and everyone is just really, really excited about it. That's good. So c- can you give us a little more detail about how some of these programs work? Because I think some of our folks who listen to the podcast— I would was just talking with two or three CEOs earlier today who were telling me they're struggling with getting mechanics. Correct. So talk about some of what you've seen as best practice and how that might work for someone. Uh, well, basically, I've, I've seen partnerships with even the high schools where students are actually being trained on mechanic basics. They're able to do internships with the agencies. And then from the internship program, they're able to go into entry-level jobs. And the pay in those jobs actually rivals some of the entry-level jobs that their peers are getting. That's great. And so it's really a great to raise raise awareness into the transportation industry. Uh, We need more people. We need Mm -hmm. fresh minds. We need new energy. And so it's just a really exciting time. It is, yep. When I was at MTA, we were struggling with mechanics. We had Mm -hmm. like 300 bus mechanics we needed to fill. I mean, that was our maximum level, and Mm -hmm. we were always short, 30, 40 mechanics short. And so we entered a program where Mm ex-offenders could get trained through a nonprofit agency we were working with called Vehicles for Change in Baltimore. In addition to getting training on just working on cars, we then started training them on buses. It was, I think, a marriage made in heaven. Our governor even came, was part of the signing ceremony. So are those kind, are you seeing those type of innovations? I am seeing those types of innovations, and I'm I'm actually doing something very similar to that myself at Clash Trend now. Tell us about that. We are actually partnering with a nonprofit called the Dannon Project, and we are bringing people in to do not only, I call it professional passenger transport training, because of course for our buses, the CDL is not required. 
So it's just professional training on professional driving. We're also doing that in the realm of customer service as well. I think customer service is a lost art. And it's hard to keep people in those positions. Yes. And so we're actually doing a customer service training program. And the good thing about that, a lot of people in those positions, it's hard to get them the training that we need because, of course, we need them on the front line. Right. And so through the development of these types of programs, we're able to constantly update and give them training. Some of it is computer-based. Some of it is in-person training. And it's worked really, really well. So it's really important. That's good. So that's really uh, something that we're focusing a lot on at ClassTran. That's great. What do you see in your role at ClassTran as as executive director? What do you see as um, the key facets of running an effective paratransit system? The biggest thing for me right now is coordination. Okay. Um, because we do have a little overlap with the BJCTA. And, and that's why customer service is so important because the coordination, in my opinion, is a high-level issue. Our customers just want to get from A to B. Mm-hmm. And so we're taking that that coordination issue and making sure that that stays a high-level type of coordination decision. Whereas when the customer picks up the phone, they call one number. They get whoever they need, and they get the ride that they need and the service that they need. And so that's what that's what I'm working very hard to eliminate the barriers to that. Tell us about uh, agency transportation. Most paratransit systems in the country, if they're ADA, are you considered ADA we paratransit? Cons- yeah. They complain about client shedding. Yes. Where some of these nonprofit agencies who maybe get grant funding to do transportation mm-hmm. to, let's say, an adult daycare mm-hmm. or some other type of facility, development mm-hmm. or disability center, they may try to get the ADA system to take their clients instead of so tell, do you have right. that issue? We and, do have yeah. we do are have you that issue. With them or? We are coordinating with them. Our local United Way has a two one one call center actually, where we, you know, everyone kind of calls into that center, and we are a part of that network that they coordinate with. So it doesn't all fall on us, but we're the primary person that that handles the coordination from there. I will tell you, we are contracted from our counties to do a lot of the agency transportation from some of the county homes and county centers and things like that. So that's an extra source of income. So that's an extra source of income for us. But we're really trying to ramp up not only our demand response, which is a 24 to 48-hour notice, we're actually about to roll out an on-demand in partnership with a microtransit company to try to do some on-demand type paratransit. I worked side-by-side early in my career in the mayor's office for the city of Birmingham. I was assigned to the mayor's office on Americans with Disabilities. I worked side by side with a guy named Rudy who had a van, but heaven forbid if his van went in the shop, there wasn't a loan already. So he had to rely on public transportation and things that we take for granted, like going for lunch, for instance, that was a big deal for him. Yes. And so being able to offer that on demand, if somebody... So it's not the 24-hour notice. It's not the 24 and that's going to be a huge deal for all of our customers in the Birmingham, Jefferson County greater Birmingham metro area. That's interesting. I've talked to some CEOs. Uh, several of them are piloting these type of on-demand. And I think the the advent of Uber and Lyft, mm-hmm. these other companies where people can get service immediately, has kind of pushed the envelope on that for public transit agencies. Would you agree? I do agree. Yeah. And, I, and I believe it's a scary thing, but it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. It's scary because I think it pushes us out of our comfort zone. But sometimes you need to be pushed. You need to be pushed so that you can test the limits and, and know what you can do. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know you could accomplish it if you weren't pushed to do it. 
So, what kind of technology are you seeing have an impact in paratransit world? Just like with all of the other, uh, just with all of the other places, the, the the technological advances of mapping software, being able to redirect <laughs> on a dime. Right, especially if you're doing on-demand service. Correct. It's not... It's not one to seven days in advance. Correct. It's right now. You've got to have really good algorithms. And, Correct. Yeah. Correct. So that is a big deal in the paratransit industry, especially the on-demand. And so I'm excited about it. That's good. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing in your roles here at APTA. In my role here at APTA now, I'm, I'm focusing more on membership. I'm getting involved in the small apps committee, just really trying to make sure that small operators have equal chances to do big things. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a whole world. I, as you probably know, I started my career mm-hmm. in small operations. Mm-hmm. I had when I was 22 years old, I had 15 buses, you know, wow. <laughs> in a county department of aging transportation okay. system. And then we grew a public bus system out of that. But they're on the front lines providing that service, right? They are. They are. And it's very important. I think sometimes in this big old world that we're in, this big old industry, sometimes we, we feel a little small. <laughs> but right. but because of the efforts of the committee, like the Small Ops Committee, we get equal representation even on the executive committee and all of that. And, and it's just really, really good to be with other operators that are going through similar things. So it re- it's really helpful. It's yeah. been helpful for me just right. even in a short period of time. There's another uh, group called CTAA, Community yes. Transportation Association of America, that I was associated with for the first 15 years of my career. Mm-hmm. Are you guys involved with that at all? We, we are a member, but we're really not as involved. I really enjoy being a part of APTA compared to CTAA because that tends to be just the smaller systems. I like being involved with the larger association that gives me exposure to what everyone is doing. Mm -hmm. Because who says just because you're a small agency, you have to just do stuff that's in this little box, small operations. It it gives you exposure to what the other people are doing so that it it gives you the power you need to innovate and say, you know what, I can do that too. So you're kind of looking up to Big Brother, learning from him or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, I think CTA has some of that too, but I know what you're saying. Uh, Talk. So that's the national level associations. Mm -hmm. Are you involved in the state association? Alabama State Association is really not not as active right now, but we're about to be because the gas tax locally is on the legislative agenda. Okay. And so a lot of us are going to get together as soon as I get back, and we're we're about to fight for a piece of that pie. That's good. So t- it's interesting, Bakari, today we're talking about things that I really haven't had a chance to discuss <laughs> with someone on the show. So I know that when, when I first started transit 31 years ago, mm-hmm. when I went to my first state association show, I felt like my eyes were opened up, like I was looking through a keyhole into mm-hmm. the world of transportation. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to kind of have the door open to me. And right. I came in and saw all, you know, the trade show with all kinds of, you know, software right. and equipment I could use and all this stuff. And so talk to us about the role for small, medium, and large systems mm-hmm. being involved in an association. What does that do for you in general? Well, it's really exposure and it's opportunity. It's exposure because now you know what type of advances are out there as far as technology. But it's also opportunity because it gives you an opportunity to create relationships, to be able to pick up the phone. If you're there, if you're doing something and you know that someone across the country is doing something because you're in that association together, now you have a connection that you can call and say, hey, I heard that you were doing ABC. Can you tell me about that? Right. And that's a huge part of it. To me, that's probably like one of the top three benefits of being a part of an association. Yes. 
is having conversations with people, building relationships, and then having them to kind of tell you, I did it this way, and here's something I did that didn't work out very well. So maybe right. you want to think that through right. before you do that. And it also presents an exposure opportunity in terms of other people being exposed to you and what you're doing at your agency That's right. as well. Getting awards. Getting for, awards. Yeah. And I chaired the awards committee last year. And so that was an amazing experience to be able to just see some of the incredible things that people are doing all across the country. It was, it was really a high honor to be a part of that. That is awesome. So what do you see as the future of mobility? We, we're at a conference which is talking about kind of disruption. And mm-hmm. we had panels yesterday with people from banking and community colleges mm-hmm. and all these other industries, chamber of commerce, talking about, and manufacturing, talking about uh, things that have come into their industry and changed. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what you see as the disruptors to our industry and where are we going as an industry? You're kind of at the top on the executive board of, right. of our national association. I think that, well, one, the jobs will change. They're not going away. They're just changing. And I think that that's a part of evolution. That we're we're in a part of an evolution. I mean, I'm sure that some of the knowledge and skills that you needed to operate on on buses today is vastly different <laughs> from what you may have needed 30 years ago. Right. So I think the the jobs are evolving. So we're going to have to make sure that we have the training and workforce development in place to to meet the needs created by those changing jobs. Definitely can't go without talking about the autonomous vehicles. Right. I think that presents a tremendous opportunity. Everybody's talking about it, and I think it's something that we shouldn't run from because it is the future. Right. And so I'm excited to hear all the conversations that are taking place because it means we're embracing change. Mm -hmm. We're embracing change. So the skill sets required for a traditional bus driver, if they are now going to be the attendant Mm -hmm. an autonomous vehicle. Tell us about that. How does that change? We talked yesterday to the guy from the Banking Association mm-hmm. who said that when ATMs, mm-hmm. automated tellers, right. came in, they didn't re- replace tellers. They Correct. allowed them to actually have more branches, maybe, and more Correct. areas to serve areas that weren't able to be served before. Correct. And, and I just think that, pre- that presents a tremendous opportunity for our industry to even operate maybe, I don't know, it may even be safer. In right. some ways. Oh, yeah. Well, they're saying that with all these connected vehicles, mm-hmm. it should be safer, it right? It should be safer. Because the human error aspect is taken out of it. Correct. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the humans are taken out of it. They're humans somewhere. That's right. Even if they're programmers, if they're attendants or, or whatever, the humans are still in it. They're just in it in a different way. And that's the biggest lesson that I think we have to come to terms with is that the jobs aren't going away. They're just shifting. Right. So let's zero back in on your operation where you're at now. Tell mm-hmm. us about what your plans are for the next couple of years for your okay. transit system. Well, actually, my, my plans are to perfect how we do paratransit operations, to add customer service back into that, to automate it. We, I honestly say we have a little ways to go in terms of automation and bringing Mm -hmm. in the newest technology, and I definitely intend to be a champion for that. And so I'm excited about what the future holds for the residents of our tri-county area that we serve. We're bringing in a lot of advances. Uh, we're making it so that you can put pick up your app, <laughs> pick up your phone. Oh, and, that's and, wonderful, yeah. And go into an app, but we're not taking away the customer service lines either for people that want to call in and have that human touch. Whatever your preference is, 
we intend to have an answer for it and have a way that you can communicate with us. That's good. Uh, Bakara, you, I've always found you to be a very passionate person about what we're doing. Talk to me a little bit about what your heart is, the business that we're in, and serving people who really need our services. And without right. them, they would not be able to have the mobility they need to really make their life function better. Talk to us about what the heart is of of what our business is. And that is the heart of our business, is serving people, giving people options, connecting. I always say that public transportation connects people to opportunities, and it connects opportunities to cities that ultimately have people. (laughs) And so that passion drives me. I really love the fact that we serve people in this industry, that we create opportunities that people didn't even think exist. We give people that don't even have vehicles the opportunity to go all over and do anything that they want to do. I love that. I absolutely love that because, unfortunately, everyone can't have a car. Right. But I also love the fact that even if you have a car, you still have the opportunity to save some gas, <laughs> keep your car at home, still get where you need to go. You can meet some awesome people on public transportation. I take public transportation when I travel and all that. So I, I'm really excited. I will honestly say, as a teenager riding the bus in Birmingham to school, You know, I always kind of found public transportation interesting, but it really wasn't until I got on that board at the BJCTA, came to the conferences, really got to see how just enormous our industry is, that I really got a fire and really truly understood how big of an impact we're making. And that just, if you can't tell, it just makes me so excited to be a part of it. And and I will tell you, if you ever want to tempt fate, make some plans. I always knew, I guess, within the last three years or so that I wanted to officially jump into the industry. But that's something I thought was maybe about five years (laughs) on my plan, five years down the road. So just having the opportunity to be in this position at this time, it it just fills my heart with so much joy. And I I really want to do as much as I can to make a difference, not only at home, but across the country. That's wonderful. So, Bakara Malden, and in your role as a board member and of the Birmingham Transit System and your own transit system, Class Tram, where you're executive director, and then your role in APTA, you've kind of summarized for us a lot of all that together. What's your closing thoughts for our audience? Well, I'm just excited to be a part of transportation industry. We do a lot for people, and we are going to do even more because all of the technology that's coming down the pipe is going to enable us to do even more for that's more right. people. Very good. And and that's really kind of the, the summation of all this. When we talked yesterday about disruption, it really is about focusing on the end customer, right? It is. Uh, the, the ability to individualize uh, our transit services to meet the needs of people is key. I think that's why ridership perhaps has gone down in some cities over the last few years. Correct. It's because people have been able to get more individualized options with the transportation networking companies and other things. And so transit systems, like you just talked about, you're going to go from one to seven day in advance notice to maybe same day service. Correct. Individualizing the service to the needs of our customer base. Correct. That's exactly yeah. what we're going to do. And I think people are going to respond in a positive way. Yep, I do too. Thanks so much for being with us today on Transit Unplugged. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.